We, uh, we celebrate... Uh, are you applauding because we celebrate Christmas? You, we celebrate the 4th of July, Mark, as well. We do that. And the 3rd of July and the 5th of July and all the days of July. Good morning, everybody. It is really good to see you, and we are continuing our Eyewitness News series. We are working through the Gospel of Mark, and this weekend, just to be honest, I wish we weren't, because we are going to look at a passage of Scripture that I think I've been, I've been in ministry now for over 30 years, and this passage that we are going to look at, I think, is possibly one of the most difficult passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. If you just did a cursory overview of this passage, you could come up with all kinds of heresy. In fact, as we read it in a moment, in fact, we're going to, in a way, read this twice. It's very important. You could come up with the idea that Jesus is not good, that He is not God, that you get eternal life through the commandments, that rich people are not welcome in the kingdom, that everyone has to sell everything and give it away, uh, the money away, if they want to become a Christian, and uh, the idea that if you give a dollar in the offering, then you'll get a hundred bucks back. How many wish the last one was not a heresy? Well, it is. And we're going to have a look at some myths today as we think about your money or your life. So Mark 10, Mark 10 and verse 17 is what we're looking at. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God, All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Uh, This last week, uh, a couple of days ago, I went out for lunch with a group of uh, people, Christians, who I didn't really know that well. How many know that can be a little bit awkward? You're eating with people that you don't know. If it's spaghetti, that could be embarrassing and difficult. And when it's Christians, you're not sure whether this is a pray-before-meals group or not. 
Is it just me that gets upset? You know, not upset, but nervous about these kind of things. And you, you look around the table, don't you, for a hint. Are these people wanting to pray? And it looks like they don't. And you go ahead and someone stabs you with a fork. And they say, we pray before we eat. And you say, great, pray for my hand. You know, I need healing now. Uh, it can be a little awkward. Well, I, I was out with this group. It was a pizza buffet. And um, I, I went up to the, the buffet uh, here in Fort Collins, and I looked at the different uh, pizzas, Hawaiian pizza and desert pizza. I thought, that sounds interesting, desert pizza. I've never, never had that one before. And so I... Uh, I put some Hawaiian on my plate. I put some desert pizza. I thought, I'm going to investigate what this is. And I put some ranch dressing on, you know, and salad and went and sat down and started to eat and noticed that people were looking at me kind of weird. And at first I thought it's because we English people eat with a knife and fork. Fork stays in the left hand, knife stays in the right hand. Americans, I know, you cut the food and you put the fork down. And you, no, the knife down. Because if you ate with the knife, you'd stab yourself in the throat, wouldn't you? That's really stupid. But we, we English people eat God's way, knife and fork. So I thought they were looking at me kind of weird because I'm doing that. And then I tasted something odd. Apple. And I noticed these people are looking at me and I said, this is a really weird pizza. They said, we were worried about you because you're eating that, but you put ranch dressing on that. I said, it's desert pizza. They said, look at the sign. I looked at the sign. It said, dessert, pizza, duh. You see, if you get the facts wrong, you're going to mess things up. We are living in the political season, and behind the politicians of whatever brand, as they make their speeches, the fact checkers are busily working away to inform us of the truth or otherwise of their statements. You've got to get your facts straight. Well, this weekend, we're looking at a young man who did not get his facts straight. He believes some really bad ideas. He is known as the rich young ruler. Matthew calls him young. Luke calls him a ruler. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke call him rich. So when you bring all three together, we know he's a rich young ruler. And as we look at his story, <clears throat> here's the first thing in your bulletin, we expose some myths about life. We expose some myths about life. This guy had some bad ideas, and as we're about to see, uh, Jesus tries to sh gently shake him out of those, those really bad ideas. So let's have a look at this together. Myth number one, Myth number one that this guy believed was that a dose of religion is helpful. A dose of religion is helpful. And by the way, as I'm going through these, remember these are myths, all right? Please get that, otherwise you'll write these things down and you will learn exactly the opposite of what I'm trying to put across. You're gonna, you'll go out of here in a little while and eat dead chicken, and over the chicken you'll be saying, that was kind of weird, that sermon today. These are myths that we are looking at. First one, a dose of religion is helpful. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. The disciples were probably thrilled. 
Here's an influential guy. He's, he's powerful and he's enthusiastic. He's running to Jesus. People didn't run in that culture. It was hot. It was considered undignified. He is resourceful and he is respectful. He kneels before Jesus and he says, good teacher. And shockingly, Jesus says, why would you call me good? What on earth is happening here? Surely Jesus is good. We believe as Christians that he, he lived without sin. So what's he doing saying, why are you calling me good? We've got to understand the background. In those days, it was thought that the only one who should be described as good was God. Any self-respecting rabbi would discourage the designation good. He would not want anyone to call him that. It was thought that only God was good. Jesus, in his Jewish teaching style, often used provocative questions to try and nudge people into truth. And so in Mark chapter 8, he says to Peter, who do you say that I am? He wants Peter to get it. Now as this young man says, good teacher, Jesus wants to move him with this statement about God. Jesus wants to move him beyond where he is to a recognition that the only one who could be good is God and that Jesus is in fact the Son of God. This young man had a dose of religion and Jesus was trying to move him beyond that. I think it's entirely possible to come to Timberline Church or come to any church and just have a mild dose of religion, a bit of a religious rash. You'll get over it, you know, it's just Sunday morning thing. I had a religious rash for 17 years. I did not become a Christian until I was 17 years of age. And the reason for that was because I'd been inoculated against real Christianity by a little dose of what seemed like British religiosity. Why did I not become a Christian until I was 17? I didn't think I needed to. I was suffering from a 1,700-year hangover. 1,700 years ago, England was part of the Roman Empire. The Emperor Constantine became a Christian and overnight announced that every Roman citizen was hereby designated as a Christian. Christendom is what was created. So when I grew up in England with the belief that because I was British, I was Christian, it's because that idea had, had somehow uh, been translated through the generations, and I'd been inoculated with just enough religion to keep me away from Jesus for the 17 years. You know, it was wonderful in our first service this morning to see people responding who were actually being bold enough to say, you know, I've, I've had a little dose of Christianity, but I really want to grab hold of everything that God wants for me. I don't want this to be a Sunday morning thing. Have we been inoculated? Is God calling us to something far deeper? Myth number two, myth number two is that we should stand on our own two feet. We should stand on our own two feet. Look at what happens here. Jesus says to this man, you know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not, shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. 
One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. It was a really odd question. How do I get eternal life? Jews knew the answer to that question, keep the commandments. But there's something in this young man that knows that there's something more than that. Remember the context of this teaching. How many, how many of you were, how many of us were here last weekend when I talked about Jesus and the children? Raise your hand. Okay, that's good. How many of us are here this weekend? Just raise your hand. <laughs> last weekend, Jesus talked about becoming like a child and receiving the kingdom as a gift. And now immediately a man comes who doesn't want a gift, he wants to pay for it. The stories are connected. The context is very, very important. This rich young man is the opposite of a dependent child. And he's got the idea that he's going to be good enough to earn eternal life. Does anyone remember this nursery rhyme? You can say it with me if you like. Little Jack Horner sat in a corner eating, Chris, eating his curds and whey. You got too confused there, honey. It's eating a Christmas pie. That was, that was the lady who sat on the tuffet and little Miss Muffet. So we got a bit of theological confusion going on in the house. <laughs> eating a Christmas pie. He put in his thumb and pulled out a pineapple plum, <laughs> just being silly, and said, said what? What a good boy am I. That's this dude's idea. I, I'm a good boy. I'm a good boy, Jesus. I, I can do this. He's like Antonio Salieri in the, uh, in the movie Amadeus, who tries to kneel before a crucifix and make a bargain with God. Make me a great composer. Let my name be known across the earth. May my genius be celebrated. I'll give you my chastity. I'll give you every moment of my life. Let's make a deal, God. I'm a good boy. And Mozart got the gift. You see, what Jesus does here is try and show this young man that he has not got what it takes. He, this is not a universal principle, go sell everything that you have and give to the poor. Jesus did not say that to everybody. He said it to this young man. Of course, when we come to Christ, we give him everything. But it's not a universal principle. Jesus starts to go through the Ten Commandments. He starts, he, he leaves out one through four. He goes six through nine. Don't murder, commit adultery, theft, perjury. Then he says, don't defraud, which is the Tenth Commandment elaborated, covetousness. Then he goes back to commandment number five, honoring parents, and then zooms in on the issue of money. You see, Jesus is trying to show this young man as he lists all these things out, you don't have what it takes. If you're trying to earn your way to eternal life, you haven't got what it takes. And if you're trying to earn God's forgiveness, you haven't got what it takes. None of us have. The only way is to come as a child. Back to that in a moment. By the way, you know that little Jack Horner guy? I did a bit of research into him because I'm weird. Little Jack Horner, uh, tradition says that he lived in England in the 1530s and he was the servant of the abbot of Glastonbury, Richard Whiting. 
And it is said that the abbot sent Jack Horner, his servant, to King Henry VIII with a pie. And in those days, they used to put, in, they used to put uh, treasures and, and uh, valuable items in pies for transport, kind of pastry FedEx. You know, that was the, the thought. Well, on the way, little Jack Horner knowing there was something good in the pie. There were 12 title deeds to 12 beautiful estates in England. Jack Horner put his finger in the pie, pulled out the plum of an estate. And guess what I found out? His family, the Horner family, live in that estate to this day. I'm going to visit them and recite the nursery rhyme. <laughs> My point is that little Jack Horner was not the good boy that he protested that he was. None of us are. And there's a key that we could so easily miss here because in verse 24, this young man who wants to buy his way, now just remember again, children receive the kingdom. And in verse 24, it says, the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. You see how he teaches? He's provoking them. He uses exactly the same word as he uses in the interchange with the children. We haven't got what it takes. We can only receive the grace of God. Myth number three. Myth number three is that God can't wait to get you. That God can't wait to get you. A lot of people live with that idea. But look at this. Jesus looked at him and loved him. You ever heard that statement? God's watching you. And you get the impression that God's finger is trembling over the smite button. <laughs> he can barely contain himself with the wondrous possibility of nuking us with a lightning bolt. I love this. It says that Jesus saw him and he loved him. He saw him and he loved him. You know what romance is? Romance is what Kay and I used to have. <laughs> I can see some of your faces. You said, oh, bless your heart. <laughs> Let me explain. I met Kay 38 years ago. And I fell in love with her, and she fell in love with me, according to rumor. And the idea is that we fell in love with what we thought we knew. And yeah, <laughs> I discovered recently, this is just between me and you, <laughs> and the other services. I discovered recently a box. Kay has kept all of the love letters that I wrote her. Don't say, oh, it is hideous material <laughs> it is so sloppy it makes me nauseous and it's kind of nauseous romanticism mingled in with an insatiable desire to quote bible verses because I was a brand new Christian so it's like dear Kay greetings in the precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who is risen from the dead and ascended and glorified I think you're really gorgeous honey hallelujah Oh, it's hideous. It's so horrible. 
I would not show you those letters for a million bucks. Well, we could negotiate, couldn't we? <laughs> the point is that 38 years ago, she fell in love with what she thought was me. Now she knows me. I said to her yesterday, what irritates you about me? She said, how long you got? <laughs> she said, you're preaching Saturday night at Timberland. I don't think we have time for this conversation. It was only 9 o'clock in the morning. No, I'm kidding. The point is that now we know each other and now we love each other. God's not got any illusions about you. We might try and fake it on Sunday mornings and have close encounters of a Timberline kind. Hey, how you doing? Great, how are you? Fine, terrific. It's funny, isn't it? On the way here, your kids thought you were Satan. <laughs> Can't believe I just said that. <laughs> I want you to know that Jesus looks at you and he loves you. He sees what no one else sees, including you. And he loves you. Fourthly, myth number four is that riches are always a blessing. That riches are always a blessing. That's the fourth myth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. What's going on? Is Jesus saying that rich people are not welcome? No, he's not, which is good news for all of us because comparatively we all are compared with the rest of the world. Let's get that clear. The Jews had a version of the prosperity, health, and wealth teaching that we sometimes see today. They had this idea that if you were wealthy, it's because you were righteous and full of faith. Abraham in Genesis was righteous. God rewarded him materially. Job loses everything. His so-called powers show up and say, it's probably because you've sinned. That was the simple correlation. The idea of the rich not being blessed would have shocked the disciples, which is why they were amazed. What Jesus was saying is that riches can get in the way. It is not money that is evil. It is the love of it that is evil. It is not money that's the problem. It is trusting in it that is the problem. Please let's not think that materialism is simply something that happens among the super rich. I've met plenty of people who are incredibly materialistic and they don't have very much, but they spend all of their lives fantasizing about it, being bitter about it, dreaming about it. And what Jesus is doing here is he is saying that riches are not always a blessing. Riching, riches can get in our way. I wonder if it's possible that God has actually withheld some stuff from some of us because he knows it would mess us up. Now, I would like to say to the Lord, uh, please feel free to trust me further in this area <laughs> and let's experiment together. But let's get out of the idea that riches can always, are always a blessing. Myth number five is that true Christians can avoid suffering. It's a myth that true Christians can avoid suffering. 
Peter spoke up, we've left everything to follow you. Look at what Jesus says. Truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. I mean, listen to this, guys. 10,000%. That sounds like an amazing deal. Jesus is talking about uh, ultimate reward here. But I want you to notice something that he, he, he slips in. He says, and persecutions. Excuse me, what was that? And, and persecutions. Listen, I know there are some really good people on Christian TV, okay? I get that. But you know there are those guys who, who tell you that if you just call the toll-free number on the screen right now in Jesus' name, an operator is standing by, we will break the curse over your life, and if you will send us $50 right now, I'll send you this anointing oil from Israel, and uh, you will be healthy and wealthy and blessed. I have never seen one of those guys look at the camera and say, I want you to call the toll-free number on your screen right now because God wants to bless you with persecution. Yes. <laughs> call the number. Scream. Uh, excuse me. Sorry. No one's calling the number on the screen. You see, Jesus made it very clear that not only are we not exempted from suffering, but we can, we can expect it. Are you suffering right now? Please, I beg you, I say this as a pastor, please do not allow anyone to tell you that God has abandoned you, and that's why you're suffering. Because Jesus promised difficulty for his faithful friends. And the idea that we can avoid suffering in this life is immaturity. A friend of mine last weekend went to Disneyland with his family and grandson on one of those Make-A-Wish Foundation trips because his grandson is desperately ill big family event. Last weekend I got home from church to hear that my friend, the granddad, had a wonderful day in the Magic Kingdom. He went back to his room at one o'clock in the morning, woke up, couldn't breathe. They called the ambulance. They were not able to resuscitate him. In the middle of the Make-A-Wish trip, granddad died. Granddad's a pastor. More importantly, He's been a faithful follower of Jesus. And I'm sorry for the bluntness of this. Don't tell me that faithful people never suffer. And this morning, can I prayed again for that family as they navigate through this incredible dark valley. But is it because God has abandoned them or deserted them? No. We are not promised that it would all be easy and that everything would be explained. Well, the last point, myth number six. The last point is that our choices don't matter. That's a myth. 
that our choices don't matter. Look at what happened here. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Isn't it true that we live in a world of choices? I've told you before that when I go into Starbucks, I get really nervous because just getting the order right brings me into emotional turbulence. I can't even get pizza right, never mind. And if, it, if it's a large order, I actually write it on my hand. It's just terrifying. Do you know how many potential choices, variables, there are at Starbucks? Someone sat down and ran an algorithm on this. It is possible to have anyone, wait for it, anyone of 87,000 choices. That's, the, that's why I tremble when I go in there. I've got a big chance of getting it wrong. When we get so accustomed to small choices, I think sometimes we miss the big ones, the important ones, the weightier ones. This week I met Tom Patterson. Tom Patterson lives in Fort Collins. He is 87. He has had a massive, significant influence in the business community across the world. And he came to speak to a meeting I was attending. He came using his wheelchair with oxygen to help him breathe. And he started to talk about his life and he cried when he talked about the loss of his 12-year-old daughter, Debbie, who succumbed to spinal cancer. And he said, I made a choice to trust God and affirm that God is good. He subsequently lost two more of his children and his wife. And I sat there feeling like I was on holy ground because if anyone can really say God is good, it's a man like Tom. But you see, he has made a choice. Our choices matter. This man went away sad. This verse has been described as the saddest verse in the Bible. Dante ref refers to this as the great refusal. Rembrandt's most famous etching, the 100 Gilder print, he shows the young man, I was looking at it yesterday, he shows the young man staring into space, frozen, unable or unwilling to respond to Jesus' invitation. You see, our choices matter. What we're going to do in the next few moments is we are going to walk prayerfully through a response to this. And I want to say that I really believe that God's Holy Spirit is much at work in these moments if we will allow him to work. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you today because you looked at this young man and you loved him. You look at us and you love us. That's the foundation for everything. It's the foundation of our good choices. We cannot make it by ourselves, by our own works, by our own goodness. We want again, Lord, to be as children.
And we know that children often quickly respond. They are uninhibited. They do not suffer the suffocating sense of sophistication that we adults so often are, are hindered by. So as we just wait before you in these moments, Lord, we ask you to presence yourself among us and do your work. I'm going to ask that we just uh, open our eyes, please. But let's stay in this attitude. We're going to put these six myths back on the screen. The first three are coming up right now. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read these through, all six of them. And I know that some of us, we've been buying into one or more of those myths, and we're called to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We need to nail it. We need to say, yeah, that's a lie that I bought into. And so in a moment, as I read through the list, I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able. If physically you are not able, God knows your heart. But if you want to respond to this, I'm going to invite you to stand. Don't wait till the one that relates to you comes up. And we're not playing any guessing games. Oh, he stood up for number two, number three, number four. We're not doing that. I, I want you to know that there's one person who's already stood up. How rude. I've not even given the invitation yet. That's me. Because you see, in studying this and reflecting and praying this week, I've recognized that there's a couple up there that I've consciously or unconsciously bought into. I'm standing up because I want to say, God, I want to live by the truth, not by the myth. So I'm going to read them, and you can feel free at any time if you, if you want to join me. Myth number one. A dose of religion is helpful. God is calling some of us beyond that, deeper than that. Myth number two, that we should stand on our own two feet. Self-reliant, we can make it. Myth number three, God can't wait to get you. We've been educated to believe that He's just waiting. Myth number four, that riches are always a blessing. And we spend a lot of our lives dreaming and hoping and it's taking our emotional energy. Myth number five, that true Christians can avoid suffering. Some of us right now are suffering and we need to respond to this because we want to be faithful to God in that place. Maybe someone said to us, well, if you were a better Christian, you wouldn't be going through this. Reject that myth. Myth number six, that our choices don't matter. Our time is gone. But with our eyes open, I want to go back to the first myth, that a dose of religion is enough. I want to particularly zero in on that in a very public way. I know our, our eyes are open. If you stood up because of that, because you're saying, I, I'm realizing that I want, this, this needs to be more than Sunday morning for me. Some of us have stood up because we want to become Christians. But if you stood up for, because of number one there, 
Can I ask you just to indicate that? Because that's a pretty big thing to do. Let's pray. Lord, you know each and every one of our hearts. You look at us and you love us. And before I continue to pray, folks, why don't you whisper to the Lord and tell him why you're standing. In the knowledge that you look at us, Lord, and you love us, meet us in our choices. Dispel the myths. And may we walk in your truth. If you're not a Christian, I invite you in your own way just to call out to him in your heart right now. Just ask him to save you, to take charge. Invite him to be Lord of your life. We can help you with that. Our prayer team will be standing by at the end. We can clarify that. Help us, Lord. In your mercy, hear our prayer. We agree in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. And they sat down. That's great. Thank you. Well, we are going to uh, continue in our worship now in the giving of our offerings. Thank you, Tim.